It's uh, 6 o'clock in the morning on February 16th, 2014. Um, I went to bed last night, and yesterday was a day where I had poured out a lot of my concerns and anxieties to the Lord, um, just in waiting still for finances and deliverance and for justice in the court system and all that. But ended the day in total peace and total trust back in the Father. And did a long journal entry and a prayer time. And then last night I had a dream about Laura. And it was another one of those just really weird dreams where um, I'm actually in roller skates again. It's so weird how like the very first dream I ever had about Laura, I was in roller skates skating down that sidewalk where God's Word was on. And I come upon her. Well, in the dream last night, it's basically um, like a, a like an outdoor, indoor shopping center kind of thing and it's like a long strip and she is sitting I'm out I'm skating and I see her from a long way away she's sitting by herself like studying or doing something at a table out like in an outdoor food court area and I I see her and I'm looking for in my heart because everywhere I ever go I always keep my eye out for Laura in real life so obviously I've done this as well in the dream and I I see her from way far away, and I can see it's her, and she looks like she's in such a wonderful mood. She's smiling, and it just it, she looks beautiful. Everything is wonderful. And in the dream, I'm aware, God, wait a second, am I supposed to approach her now? And I, I ducked into a store on my roller skates and said, Lord, I need to see a 919 or a 525. It's so funny because that was exactly what I talked about yesterday. And I'm like, Lord, I need to know if you want me to move on this or not, or if, if I'm not supposed to go say hi to her. I don't want to assume that just because I'm seeing her that I'm supposed to go say something to her. And it seems like I've had a dream about this again, either last night or before, where it's this idea of I see her, but I'm not sure am I supposed to approach her or not. So anyhow, last night I see her, and I feel like I get the green light, and I'm excited, and I'm skating down the long way to make my way towards her. But in order for me to get to where that food court area is, I have to go kind of behind some walls that make me not be able to see the food court area anymore. And so by the time I get down to the food court area, I go up to where it looks like she's there, and she's not there anymore. And I'm looking all around for her, and I see this couple, and I see somebody that kind of looks like her with another person. That's not her, and I see a person walking away into a store from behind that looks like her and I quickly skate over there but that's not her I'm looking all around for her and I lost her I couldn't find her so then the, the dream basically ends there's no more to the dream so I knew when I got up this morning I was like all right I'm gonna I'll make a recording of that well I just sat down and had been reading the word for about 30 minutes and jumping back and forth to some scriptures from Job and so forth and so on in the Psalms in my uh, study Bible and I just grab a handful of pages and take a big turn to the right. And I notice that I turned right to Song of Solomon chapter 3. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This is the scripture, the chapter and 311 in my other Bible where I've written in Laura's name. Because it says at the end of the chapter that that um, Solomon's wife has invited everyone to come see the crown on Solomon's head. The crown that his mother placed on his head on his wedding day, the day that his heart rejoiced. So I see that scripture, but that is on the second page that I've turned to. This only goes to verse 5. And these words catch my eyes. The bride's troubled dream. And I'm like, what? I don't remember that being in there. And then it says, On my bed, night after night, I sought him, whom my soul loves. 
I sought him, but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but did not find him. I was. I read that and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's exactly like my dream that I had last night. Me searching for Laura and I couldn't find her. Verse 3, the watchman who makes the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? And then verse 4, scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go until I had brought him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. And I just thought, golly, man, that's... And I said, Lord, surely this is not a coincidence. I had a dream. I was going to journal it. I just randomly flipped to a page. There it is. It's the same chapter that ends with the crown being placed upon Solomon's head on his wedding day, the day his heart rejoiced. And so I don't want to make, I'm not going to make anything more out of it than I should, but I just thought, wow, that's, that's, that's very encouraging. It's 1148 in the morning on February 17th, 2014. I'm, I haven't even gotten 15 minutes into my prayer walk out here on the trail. It's a beautiful, overcast, calm, cool day. It's about 57 degrees outside. It's just, it's wonderful. Nice morning. And I just uh, was praising the Lord for um, content. And I just began to think about how thankful I am for being content and I think um, this is one of the things I'm the most content. Uh, the thing, rather, the thing that I'm the most thankful for is just being content. And what I realize is, is that when you are content, it radically, radically simplifies your life. I st- I think about what my life used to look like and how many desires and goals and dreams and wants and lusts of my own eyes that I wanted. And in and of themselves, those require time, energy, focus. You know, you you have to put time and effort into thinking about acquiring those things and meditating on those things and, you know, managing those things if and when you get any of them. And it just takes up so much time and it can create a very complicated life. Well, this seems completely normal until you've known different. And now (laughs) now that I have this unbelievable contentment. I think what just prompted this is I was praying about Laura and I and was just realizing and how content I am that like if it takes another however long God wants to take I'm okay. If it doesn't happen I'm okay. When it does happen if all my needs aren't met perfectly I'm okay and I'm sitting here realizing that I have no desires really that I can think of for myself, there's, I mean, literally, I want to be able to spend more time with my kids. I'd love to have a, a nice family and teach all of them the fear of the Lord. Okay? I do not have a single desire for anything else. I mean, okay, before I say that, I need to factor in the fact that, yes, I would like to have my own vehicle that is not one of my mother's, and I would like to have my own space, uh, a small you know, affordable apartment to live in. That is definitely something I desire. But I'm content. I'm okay. I've been at my parents' house now. Close to coming up on May 28th will be three years. 
And just continuing to wait, just like Sarah for her baby and Noah for the ark to be built and Abraham for the promise of being a blessed nation and taking over the land. I'm just continuing to wait and to be patient. But I have, with the Lord's presence, found such amazing contentment. Oh, here's a beautiful little deer. They're hardly even paying attention to me. Oh, now she's looking at me. She's not even hardly paying attention to me. She's a young one. Hi, baby deer. Hi there. Hi, baby deer. I'm not going to hurt you. They're not going to hurt you. You're pretty. Hi. Just standing there staring at me. Hello. You sure are pretty. Anyhow, the thing about contentment, I've taken such a long time to explain this because I'm thinking it out loud, <laughs> is it frees me up. I have so desired a simpler life, and I couldn't get it on my own, but by God slaying me like He has, and obviously with my invitation to surrender it, I laid my life down, um, as Christ commands us to do, and then He entered in and gave me this. So, again, there's another good point I want to add is that so many people think that the surrender part of life is so miserable and God wants you to just be without and wants you to just live this life of, you know, just nothing. And that is so not true. What I have found is that by my surrendering everything to God, yes, there was the pain of losing it all. That was very painful. I mean, imagine having your arm cut off, but the pain's not going to always be there. Eventually, the place where the arm was ripped off is going to heal and the nerves are going to kind of do something. And you won't be in all this pain anymore. Well, that's the same way it was with me surrendering everything. God ripped them all away, but then they have now healed, and I am content. And, oh my God, I praise Him for that. Oh, man. I, 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 the, the suffering that has brought this contentment. I just, I just want to bake in this word. There is, is, it is such an amazing gift from God. I mean, I, I'd like to think of any person I could possibly think of, and I look at their lives, I see people sitting in Starbucks and just going crazy on their computers and Facebooks and their business stuff, and everything is just chase, 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 chase. I was with a, a, a couple of guys from my old church the other day, and the guy sits down, he looks completely exhausted. He's just wore out, chase, 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 chase. And he thinks that this is what he's got to do, is he's got to be the man, the, the entrepreneur, go-getter, make it happen, on fire, flying by the seat of his pants type of guy. <clears throat> and that requires so much life. It, it, such, it comes at such a high cost of everything that's important. That's why Jesus, you know, another good reason he says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This guy was weary. And... The contentment thing, if I look at a guy like that and I say, if I could instantly snap my fingers and give him contentment, he would wake up the next morning and go, why am I doing this? Why am I chasing that? Why am I working so hard? What am I working for? What is this going to accomplish? Why do I need this? And all of a sudden that contentment would, when you're content, it's incredible. It's like... I can't even put it into words because I barely know how I got to this place. But, man, the desire for things and stuff in this world is so unbelievably strong and enticing. And I remember, like, 
you know, you go to the mall and you look at things and it's like eye candy. Oh, I'd like to have that. Oh, I'd like to have this. Ooh, that looks good. Now I'm kind of like, nah, I don't think I even want to do that. I don't even want to go unless it's with my kids. I haven't been to a mall since my kids were with me. And that's really just to ride the escalators because <laughs> Chelsea likes to ride the escalators. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that is so funny. Anyhow, um, I have just this amazing contentment. And you know, now I know what Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. There's the secret. I think that's the only thing that Paul says is a secret. He's learned the secret of being content. I mean, think about it. Think about how many books and how many programs and how many world philosophies and how many um, people's opinions cease to matter anymore when you're content, when you can live with it or live without it. I mean, it dramatically changes your life and what you focus on and what you do and how much time you spend on what. And, and I mean, I'm just, oh, I could just go on and on and on because I, I don't think I have fully been conscious of the work that God has been doing in my heart to make me content. I love what Pastor Stanley, Charles Stanley teaches on contentment. He says, do you want to know what the secret was to Paul's contentment? discontentment and man that is so that is so true that is so true Paul he says had to be put in these just really difficult situations and then obviously being in prison he's completely discontent and somehow or another you surrender to being discontent and the father just through his spirit he changes your heart it's like when you surrender to it God just changes your heart and He makes you okay with it. Being okay in un-okay circumstances is called contentment. And you get it through peace and through joy, the gifts that God or that Jesus said that would be ours through obedience to His Word. I just look at people's lives everywhere and I go, man, if I could just help that person have contentment, their life would change. Everything. I mean, how you feel in your relationships and your marriage. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a marriage relationship and you're and your wife or spouse is not meeting your needs the way you want, that would not even remotely be a problem if you were content. <laughs> if you could do I mean, it's like, if you're content. And I think to myself, and I have to say this, I know this may be embarrassing, especially for my kids to listen to one day, but the um, by this time they hear this, they'll, they'll understand what I'm saying. But um, I think about sexual contentment as one example. And... There's all these people that, uh, particularly men, I would imagine, who think that they can't live without uh, sex. They can't live without it at uh, a certain amount, a certain frequency. I mean, there's no doubt that it's something that the human is designed to desire and that it is um, a very good thing and and all that. But there's so many people that feel, including myself at one time, I felt like, gosh, I, I won't be able to live very long at all uh, without being completely frustrated without that. And even self-gratification, you know, you think, well, I, I have to do that so often to, you know, to get that physiological release. I mean, you know, Dr. Oz says that, you know, the man who doesn't have uh, sexual release is not a healthy man. Da, 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 da. And you hear all these things and you conclude, well, I guess I need that experience every so often. I've proven to myself now I can go completely without it. I mean, by God's grace, I have found contentment. I've, I'm now, I'm now living 
um, over a year, I guess. I've been able to bring my body under submission and say, no, I'm in control of my body. It's not in control of me. And I'm living perfectly fine. I'm perfectly content. And I'm managing my sexual appetite with God's help. And I have contentment. And I think to myself, well, I'm able to go. This is a whole new thing for me. In other words, I was never able to do this in my marriage. I also have now proven myself, proven to myself that I can be content. And that I won't die without it if my little needs aren't met. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. When you truly have given yourself up, when you truly take up your cross and die to yourself, as Jesus talks about, you can't lose because you've given up your right to lose. You've given up your right to have your needs met. And at first glance, that sounds, oh man, that's miserable. No, it's not. Because God steps into that situation. It's like Jesus almost like hid this intentionally from people. He didn't say, hey guys, if you give it all up, I'm going to give you this blast mega dose of the Holy Spirit in my presence and you'll be filled with... No, he didn't sell very much. He didn't spend very much time selling the benefits other than eternal life. But, man, my experience and, and seeing between the lines in Scripture and seeing the whole picture is that God does honor that. Yes, it's tough sometimes. I mean, if it, was, if it wasn't tough, it's not something worth fighting for. But God does enter into this and does give peace and bless. And so, man, I just praise Him. And I just, the key is having been surrendering it all, God has stepped in and given me contentment. It is truly amazing. I just had this thought about worship. I've been sitting here thinking about the worship styles in churches and how people are drawn to churches by the music. I'm starting to see this more and more that if a church has great music, they usually have great big numbers of people. And I think to myself, how is that any different than if, if a Celine Dion concert was going on at your church every week? The music is creating emotion. And I contend that the emotion that people are saying, oh, I just feel the presence of God. I heard a guy say, I just feel the presence of God. And, and I used to feel the same thing. I used to feel like, but what I'm starting to realize is, is that it's emotionalism. You, you feel like because you're having this kind of euphoric emotion that you're feeling the presence of God. I can get that same feeling off of secular music. You put in a good enough Celine Dion or Josh Groban music song that has nothing to do with God or a good um, classical music song and, and I can get the exact same feeling. I can get the exact same feeling and I think to myself, it should be that worship comes from the heart, not from the platform. Worship in music is is something that's inside of you you're getting out, not something outside of you you're trying to get in. It's Worship is to be directed to God, not to us. We don't go to church so that we feel good. I'm sitting here going, man, this is the aha of a lifetime for me on this. We don't. Worship is not supposed to be something you go so that you can feel good about. It's something that's already in you, and it's an expression of your love for God that comes from within your heart, expressed outwardly to God, not an outward event or experience that you then take, try to take inside of you. Anyhow, just thoughts on that. This message is about the lust of the eyes and being attracted to 
the opposite sex. I just was sitting at a Starbucks <clears throat> and um, at Airport Road. Chris just left. Shortly after Chris leaves, his chair's available, and a, a very attractive brunette, very much my type, um, with the blue eyes, very similar to the look of, of Alora, comes and sits down. She's kind of in, uh, you know, workout clothes a little bit, and she comes and sits down. I see her. She comes in, and I, she makes eye contact with me directly from across the, the restaurant, and then, of course, I'm minding my own business, and then she comes and sits down in the chair right next to me while I'm trying to study uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ book, and I was aware of her presence there, and, the, and you know, all men could identify with this, that when you see an attractive woman, there's like a pull. There's like some sort of a, you almost feel like an obligation to look. It's almost like you lose control over yourself to look. And I've been fighting this for a long time. And I've learned, I've learned to train myself. I'm getting better and better with God's help of just totally looking away. So like, for example, her, her legs were hanging out. Incidentally, I'm in front of a car, uh, a car's in front of me, AR4. Five, 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 five. Oh, I love seeing those fives like that. Um, thank you, Lord God. But um, I've been training myself out of the fear of the Lord to look away. Like I may see an attractive woman, and then but I'll look away, and then I may still feel the desire to want to look, but I don't. And that's what I want to capture here is that I don't think the desire to want to look maybe ever goes away. It's like saying that you're going to get to a, t a day when you're never going to be hungry again for a Twinkie or an Oreo. I don't think that's the case. What, what, it, what happens is you learn to control it. That's why Jesus said, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, cast it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Deal drastically with it. Be careful what you put in front of your eyes. Resist. Stop sinning. It's, it is a self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And I'm learning how to exercise that more and more. But there's that part of you that feels almost guilty because you want to look. It's like there's a desire in there that you're fighting. And you go, well, man, I shouldn't even have this desire. But the fact is, you do have that desire. Just like you have a desire to eat, a desire to breathe, a desire to have sex. Those are all in your physical um, natural body. But one thing, this is the, the point is that I'm so encouraged because as I look at where I'm at with this now, as a single man, mind you, I'm not talking about as a married man. As a married man, I don't have these challenges at all. I never really ever had situations where I would find myself desiring to look at other women when I was married. It was just something that I took great pride in, in being a one-woman man and not looking at other women and not putting myself in those situations. And quite honestly, I just I never had the desire out of the fear of the Lord and love for my wife. So now that I'm single, I go, man, I shouldn't be interested in looking at that woman sitting there. But there's that attraction. There's that, you know, ooh, it's an attractive woman. You're supposed to look at her. And this is the age-old battle for every man since the time of creation. Um, a man enjoys looking at a pretty woman. That does not mean it's a good thing to do. And so here's the point I want to make is that I resist that. So at one point I saw my eyes look up and I looked at her shoe instead of looking at her leg. Um, when I felt the, the, just the desire one time to look at her face just to see, was she as pretty as I thought? I made sure that I looked at her face and out of my peripheral I could see she had on kind of a low-cut top. Um, 
<clears throat> you know, sport bra type thing or whatever. And I made sure that my eyes did not go there. And then I looked down. I even put my hands up beside my face so that I would be focused and I'd have a block in between her and me. And I even said a prayer. I said, Lord, thank you, God, for giving me the ability to self-control. Thank you, God, that the spirit is, is stronger than my flesh. And I just keep looking down and I'm able to walk away with, with my righteousness still intact. I'm not sitting there lusting over this woman. Um, and you can control yourself. That's the thing that I just, I want so bad to convey is so many guys think that they can't look away, that they have to look. And I see other men walk in and they look and they look and they look and they look. Sure. I may have the same desire to look that they do, but I'm not. And I'm a single guy. I'm single. I should have the right to look for a woman. I mean, how could you ever find a woman to be married to if you didn't allow yourself to look and go, wow, she's beautiful. But I'm interested in somebody. So I'm trying to live, even though I have no guarantee at all whatsoever that Laura will ever be my wife, I'm trying to live faithful to her, second to my faithfulness to God. I don't. I live in the fear of the Lord. So I don't know. I just wanted to capture this that, you know, I don't think a person should beat themselves up for having that desire, but what you do is you exercise the desire not to. It's self-control. I mean, my mom many times has said to me, Michael, you want some of this cake? I mean, my mom could testify to this. She's probably asked me no less than a hundred times in three years if I wanted a certain dessert, and she's heard me say, no, mom, I don't need that. That's called self-control. I may want it. I may desire that cake or that cookie or whatever it is, but I have self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and I say, no, I don't need that. Sometimes I say yes, but, you know, there's never a good time to say yes to lusting at a woman. I'm not making that comparison at all. But the other point I want to make is, what good does it do to look? It's not like if you look at a, a beautiful woman, even if you gave yourself full vent as a single man to look at her up and down and check her body out and the whole thing... That may feel good for a minute, but it doesn't satisfy. You're going to need more, and you're going to need more, and you're going to need more. And one look leads to two looks, leads to three looks. And before you know it, you're caught up in needing to look. And what, what good is going to come out of this? Nothing. No good comes out of it. You end up walking away. You'd feel guilty. You've treated somebody's daughter like a piece of meat. God Almighty, help us. Help us, Lord. Have mercy upon us and help us to get these things. But so looking doesn't do any good. So you instead, it's like you're on a diet, standing and looking at a piece of pizza. Like, oh man, I just want to look at that. That's like murdering yourself. Why in the world would you do that? So anyhow, I guess the bottom line I want to make is that, the point I want to make for myself here is that I've walked away feeling good. I'm making progress with not having to even have very many thoughts. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful to see that happening. It's 11.05 at night. I'm in bed and I just had something pretty cool happen. I was sitting in the... Actually, I just watched um, my story video tonight. I haven't watched it in months and months and months and I found out from a person that went to the website that the video was down. So I put up the old one and I watched about 40 minutes of it. I got in the hot tub and then I started saying, Father, please don't let the 777 story be taken away. God, please bring justice, Lord. And it just leaves me feeling, you know, confused. 
um, when I look at my story, the implications of a court reversal is pretty weird, pretty devastating, but I just began to rise up in faith and said, Lord, I know that you know that happened. I know that you know they lied. And I just felt this faith rise up in me. God, I know that you know what happened and that you'll take care of it. And I trust you to, to give me the justice that you said you would. And I get out of the hot tub, I walk in, and it's 10.55. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Psalm 105.5. This is the number that God keeps showing me. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He pronounced. It's like God keeps reminding me to remember what He's already done, and that I can have faith that He'll make it all right. That's what I feel like the Lord's telling me. So I'm going to, instead of just reading this verse, I'm going to continue to think about the wonders he's done and the judgments he's made. I don't see how God would allow the 777 story to, that he would do all that and then just have it be washed away like this. Incredible. It's 6 o'clock p.m. on February 18th, 2014, and this message is about my gratitude for the fruit that God continues to produce in my life in spite of the fact that my circumstances look like He's anything but with me. Uh, the last couple of days have been so encouraging. I have had a period of several weeks where my faith has been um, really uh, just flatlined. I wouldn't say extremely weak, but it certainly hasn't been peaked and strong. It's been more flatlined and it's been a lot of effort for me to put my eyes back on Jesus. There's been a lot of attacks to try to get me off of God's promises um, to deliver me and for me to continue to stay put and know that I'll be okay continuing to sit right where I'm at waiting upon the Father. And I, um, the last couple of days have just have been so wonderful. I, I'm amazed. I, I won't even be able to think of all the, the ways that um, I'm aware of that God is using um, either my story or my daily videos or just me meeting with people and impacting their lives uh, for their better and for His good and glory. And it's just incredible to to see it. It's just so humbling. I just, uh, I just left a meeting with a, a Mary and uh, I met Mary at Starbucks, you know, months ago and God used me to confront her on forgiveness and to get her to forgive someone who had severely wronged her and she was going to bring a lawsuit against and by God's amazing grace she saw the light of scripture and was able to find enough trust in God to release the person and her life dramatically changed and I felt led to reach out to her today and see how she was doing and I met with her and when we show up she's just again continues to be a ball of light um, that God is interacting in her life and she's on adventure with Jesus and she's got this amazing relationship and she just keeps thanking me for how God connected us and um, she pulled out of her her uh, purse today a notepad and it had my writing on it. It was words that she had written 
word for word out of my videos. This lady's in her 50s and I'm sitting there looking at a lady who's carrying around a notebook and she's journaled word for word things off of my video lessons and I just go, unbelievable. It's just so humbling to see that. And it was just so wonderful to see her being impacted this way and and I sometimes think, does anybody care? Is anybody even paying attention? Is this doing anything for anybody? Then I got an email today from Ryan Mickley in Florida saying what an inspiration I've been to him and keep doing God's work and he keeps praying for me and keep persevering and just such a very encouraging message from him. I felt led to reach out to Jenny Souther, the lady who was going to commit suicide and God, somehow or another, she ended up at my story and it prevented her from killing herself and this is the lady who... Her husband tried to murder her and then successfully murdered himself. And I contacted her today and was just so blessed to hear how her life is progressing and what a light she is. And, you know, she credits me with being used of God to turn that all around for her. And I just am so amazed. And I have, you know, nothing in my circumstances and um, yet I'm poor and people are becoming rich and I think of the 74 year old lady Hazel who reached out to me and from Mississippi and I've been having conversations and trying to help her over the last couple of days and just I don't think I've been uh, even conscious of how this is making people's lives different and I'm just so thankful I'm just so thankful it seems like I almost wish I would have you know made a list of people so that when I get really down in my circumstances I can look back at the treasure of what God is doing and um Somehow or another, I'm not fully conscious of it, and I hope I never am, but God has so blessed me, and I'm being used of the Lord, and there's nothing that gives me more hope, there's nothing that gives me more joy, and no amount of money or good circumstances could ever take away what it feels like to constantly be used of God like this. Obviously, I need to have basic resources met, and I know that God will provide, but this has just been so incredible. All those tears I cried and begged God to please, God, don't leave this for nothing. Please let it be that you use this, and... Um, he certainly is using it. And I see people's lives being changed. If you look at my circumstances alone, I've been completely abandoned by God. <laughs> people, are, people are being so blessed. And it makes me feel so blessed. God is so good. It makes me feel so good to see these people like Chris or Mary months or Bobby Junkin months after I've ministered to them or 
discipled them or led them to the Lord and to see that the flame of Christ is burning bright in their hearts it just it's just amazing it is absolutely amazing Oh, I want to capture one other thing that I've been struggling about with this morning that I forgot to mention, and that is um, Larry's birthday, surprise birthday, is coming up on Sunday, and it's mostly people that I've introduced him to from The Rock that they're still hanging out with, going, and they're, somebody's saying, you know, I should be there. And I have had a very distant relationship with them since this whole meltdown of me leaving the church and saying I believe the church is deceiving people and I just don't see how I can go. I don't see how I could walk in and hang out with a bunch of people that are going to a church who I believe many of are in danger of not ever making it to heaven if they stay in the place they're at, <clears throat> believe in some of the things they're believing, and turn around and go to a party and acknowledge. It's almost like I'm approving of that. I mean, I get the whole idea of hate the sin and not the sinner, and I don't hate any of them. But I've warned them that I believe that the church is deceiving people, that it's preaching a false gospel, that they have false prophets that are showing up in there. One of the ladies who's throwing it is a lady who has falsely prophesied to me. And I'm just like trying to get me in fear. You know, just like Nehemiah going and telling him, tell him we want to meet with him, trying to get him in fear. And uh, um, falsely accusing him. So I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I have to draw the line. And I know there's not very many people that would do this. A lot of people just want to keep the peace and just go hang out and I could put on a fake smile. I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, I, I have really appreciated Larry being in my life and certainly like <clears throat> a lot of things about Trish. But I'm not willing to sacrifice the truth for any person or any friend. I'm not willing to shrink back and I'm not willing to allow the image to be presented that I'm okay with how they think. And to me, it's very serious. To me, it's a matter of eternal life and death and it's a matter of you know temporal blessings here and temporal glory to God. And how could I go and participate with people and hang out with people that believe so differently than me? This isn't just a matter of, you know, a Baptist hanging out with a Pentecostal, I mean a Baptist hanging out with a Presbyterian or what have you. This is a matter of people that go to a church where I believe full-on false prophets are coming in. People are not living remotely like the gospel. They are deceived. They think they can continue to slowly get there and just slowly grow. And, and they're not giving things up for Jesus. Many of them are not. They're, they have incorrect beliefs about things. In fact... You know, one of them has a, a daughter who is living in premarital sex and believes that they're still saved. And that the, 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 the mom thinks that you can still be saved living like that. And you can't. If you slip into something like that, yeah, when God turns the lights on and shows you that's wrong, you need to get out of it, you can be saved from that. But to continue to live like that, that's not a person who's been saved who's ever heard the true gospel. My kids are going to know, you can try and live like that, but if you try, you're not going to heaven if you're living like that. That's what I'm going to teach my kids. I'm not going to teach them, ah, you know, hey, once saved, always saved. That's baloney. I mean, even just saying this gets me fired up inside. So I think I'm going to have to just be the guy who is willing to be all alone and, and uh, 
be made more fun of because I'm not hang I'm not willing to hang out with people that quote believe a little different. This isn't a matter of whether we dunk somebody, sprinkle them, or or you know water baptize infants. This is a matter of are you going to a place where you where you're hearing the right gospel, and and are you living it? Are you being obedient? Have you given yourself up? Are you still chasing the here and now and the blessings and still trying to manipulate and move God to do all the things you want Him to do here on earth? That's what a lot of these people are all about. So I think I've answered it myself. I'm not wanting to be mean, but I have to take a stand for truth. And, and I'm no longer willing to put myself in situations where me being there would look like I'm, I'm endorsing it. Paul says they not only do these things that they know are ungodly and wrong, but they approve of those who, who do them. In Romans chapter 1, two of the things he mentions are deceit and faithless, faithlessness. faithlessness. <clears throat> Meaning people that, like my mom, who are not believing God for much of anything that, except for that she thinks she's saved by belief, she can live her life however she wants, and go to the party and be happy and hear good music and get emotional and give give money here and there every once in a while to somebody. That's not the Christian life. So I'm always so indignant against this car just went by 6H66K. The only numbers on the license plate are 666. 6H66K. Just drove past me as I'm making this message. So, I suspect something will come, but if it's not already. So, anyhow, I just, I'm really uh, wanting to stick close to the Lord here, and I feel indignant towards a lack of truth, and it does bother me when people do not live according to the Word. Why, if God is asking me to live this way, would He not require others to live this way? Instead, they think they can just get away with whatever they want to do and and just, oh, just drives me crazy. And I want to make the point here that I'm aware I haven't always been like this. I grew over time with God's help. I didn't have anybody to teach me this. The Lord's been teaching me through His Word and through His Spirit. And there's been a couple of other people that have confirmed, like A.W. Tozer, you know, or some of uh, Andrew Murray's stuff. And then, of course, obviously now, you know, several more teachers, but along the way, there were just a handful of those who I read that encouraged me uh, in the things that the Holy Spirit was already teaching me. And I realized that, and there went a car with two fives, a letter, and a five. That's five, five, five right there, right after, right after I just saw the 666. Um, the thing I want to make sure I mention is that I, I'm aware that not everybody's in the same place. But I'm not talking about people who are growing Christians or people who haven't known or heard. I'm talking about people who've been living this way for years and who have now been presented an opinion, uh, a doctrinal position that's contrary to theirs and one that says, hey, you ought to consider that there might be some deception involved here, looking at the fruit, and yet they've continued on. So to me, it, it would be very irresponsible of me and dangerous to be hanging around with people that are deceived. And that's what I believe. I believe Larry and Trish, God love them. They're sweet people. 
<clears throat> and I believe they're right on a lot of things, but I believe they're deceived. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Larry studying things about the brain and trying to pull that into his teachings and training. And I've said, Larry, we got we to gotta get away from that. Nobody that ever made a difference for Christ less than 100 years ago back ever had any of that information. They stuck plainly with the Word of God. And he's always focused on something business or how to grow his business or marketing. He's still trying to make it happen. He's, he's fearful about it too. He's always in fear and trying to struggle and make it happen. And I'm going, this guy should be so much further ahead of me. He was my mentor in the beginning, but I've now passed him up. He primarily was teaching me a lot of secular-based principles and throw, threw some scriptures in to kind of make it all look, you know, kind of Christian-y. And again, I know he's doing the best he can with what he has. But the reality is, is that I have gone to this pure devotion to the Word and to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to be led of God and God's Word alone. And I'm seeing unbelievable fruit when I look in my life at the lives of people that are being changed. People are judging me by my circumstances and saying, God must not be with me. But my heart, I'm as happy as I've ever been. I'm happier than I've ever been. I have more joy. I wouldn't say I'm always happy because happy sometimes is based on circumstances. But my final point is that I feel like they're deceived. And, and I cannot contribute to that. I don't want to endorse that. I don't want, to, don't want it to look like I'm okay with that. I need to, in brotherly love confront and stand against that and and not uh, not approve of it with my presence that's what i believe and until the lord tells me different i think after i've looked up a couple of scriptures already this morning that that's what's got to be my position it doesn't seem like a very loving thing to do to some people but on the contrary my love would be that they would turn and have their eyes opened and say man mike is really serious about this and you know we do see that god's been with michael and he's directing his path and doing some incredible things maybe we ought to give consideration to why he's so passionate about this what if he's right and after all the the fruit in our life is still sometimes filled with worry or fear or discontent or a desire to um you know chase after other people and a desire to to get back what has been taken from us and you know stuff like that so i don't know interesting thoughts I'm praying about all of it, that's for sure.